Touchdown! Of course, the crowd wants Reed to go for it. Wouldn't be surprised if he did on fourth down and one. So, anyways, with that time, George. Welcome to fourth and one. I'm Todd Palmer, joined by Nick Jacobs. And uh, I don't know if you're aware, um, Monday was the day of the dead. And there was a time in the fourth quarter that uh, that I thought that was was fitting for the Chiefs' playoff hopes uh, because when, when they uh, gave up that touchdown the first play of the fourth quarter um, and their offense had been struggling as much as it was, uh, I I thought that there was a chance they were going to be a shocking three and five team. So let me just ask: like, are you more encouraged that they found a way to win and the defense? I mean, look, it's a bad Giants offense, but they treated it like a bad offense, right? I mean, they did what they're supposed to against a bad offense. Um, so are you more encouraged by by those things, or are you more discouraged by the fact that the offense still seems like a babe in the woods right now? Like a what? A babe in the woods. It's just wandering lost. Okay. It's a, yeah. I hadn't heard that catchphrase or that... uh reference there before Todd. So that was never heard of a babe in the woods. No, I can't say that I have Todd. Oh, okay. I've heard of people being lost in the woods. <laughs> well, but no. same thing. No, okay. imagine anyway. a babe lost in the woods. Okay. Well, now that we got that out of the way and I can store that in my memory bank forever and cherish this moment. Um, look, I mean, yes, they got the win. Yes. They're at 500. They're four and four, but that was a very underwhelming win. And I know some players would probably argue that uh, expectations are too high and that uh, and that I'm spoiled or that we're spoiled and all that type of stuff. But look, I mean, you and I have always done this podcast to where we're looking at what it's going to take to be a champion and, and meet championship expectations. And here's the thing. They were the ones who talked all the time about re- repeating and run it back and dynasty and going 20 and 0 so they set those expectations. And unfortunately they're not they're not being able to deliver on that to a certain extent. So I mean the reality of it is like I said yes they're 500. Yes they got a win tonight and it was a hard fought win, but what I see is a team that if they play at that level against the Green Bay or a Dallas or maybe even a Las Vegas Raiders team, it the odds would not be in their favor to use a phrase from the Hunger Games. Right. No, I mean, look, it's fair to say, and, and you know, Andy, want Andy Reid and the rest of the team doesn't want to look too far ahead, but but I, I'm not Andy Reid or the rest of the team. Neither um, am I. Right? <laughs> wow, um, we should start a club. <laughs> um, you know, which gives us the, the latitude to look and say, look, you've got three games until the bye, and if they play like this, it's hard to see them being better than one and two during that stretch. You know, I mean... It's just it's just hard to see how this team. I mean, I, I think we're at the point in the season where you have to say this is who the Chiefs are this year. They're turnover prone, um, and, and they're some of the worst parts of, of Andy Reid teams. I mean, this is not the first time that Andy Reid's had a team that struggled with penalties. Right? They had twelve penalties for one hundred three yards tonight. Um, we've seen this story before. Um, you know, I, I'm. It's just, it's, I know that, I know that they're trying. I know that they're, that they're, that they, they haven't given up on the season and nobody would expect them to at this point, but it's hard to see the progress that you want to see. Like if you think back to 2019, when they won the Super Bowl, you and I talked about, you know, look, you had a new defense, you had new players, you were seeing signs of progress, even though the defense was still struggling the first half of that season, you were seeing enough hopeful signs of progress that you felt like, they could put things together. Are, are you seeing any of those signs from this team this year? Uh, offensively, I see a team that is continually regressing from who they were each Absolutely. and every week. And they don't know what to do from series to series to be able to maintain um, an efficient down and distance on a regular basis. Because especially against the Giants uh, on Monday night, it was just a game of, Hey, let's move Tyreek Hill around and let's throw him the ball a handful of times to keep it going. And occasionally they'll run the ball. And then sometimes they'll try to get it to McCole and try to work it around uh, Kelsey when they could, if he got on the same page with Mahomes, which he didn't very often. Um, and that, that's just kind of how they tried to move the ball. And 
I mean, it's fine, but at the end of the day, I mean, the offense in itself has the following problems. And these problems are going to be there for the rest of the year. And I'm just telling you, more than likely, they're not going to be able to fix them until they start adjusting the roster in the offseason. They have problems at both tackle spots. And in my opinion, Patrick Mahomes doesn't have a comfort with the tackles. If he did, he would stand back there in the pocket. But things have happened as the year's gone on to where Orlando Brown's going to get beat at a certain depth. And Mahomes has had has been sacked enough or had the ball smacked out, whether it's a left tackle or right tackle, that he knows once they get past him and he can't he can't visibly see him anymore, he's gonna step up and he's either gonna escape to the left or the right. And at times tonight, the Giants had a spy waiting for him that was gonna go with him, or you know, they they did a variation of rushes that other teams have done for the past two years and that they built off of. Belichick was the one was one of the people that originated how teams would attack, and he and part of Belichick's game plan from two and a half years ago at this point, from the first time he played Mahomes, was in the Giants' game plan tonight. So what Belichick did is he used to smack the heck out of uh, Travis Kelsey on his releases. They'd have Hightower do it, or maybe Jamie Collins or a defensive end. Ben Oy did it from time to time, but they got physical with Kelsey at the line to disrupt that and to frustrate him. And they would physically beat him at the line of scrimmage. And so that was done. And then they had, and then they also, in the AFC championship game, they had doubles on Tyreek Hill, you know, with the, with the bracket coverage, or as Andy called in the press conference time to time, the halo coverage as well. So they would use those to kind of slow down him and also slow down Kelsey. And they did variations of that even last year with Belichick with how they defended Kelsey and Hill. And then the lions added in a wrinkle to it to where the lions added in the spy that would follow Mahomes, And then they would take off after Mahomes, And that was used tonight. And then, you know, and then there's been some teams that have just stayed back in zone coverage and forced their front four to be the rushers. The Buccaneers have done it. Their Arizona Cardinals tried it couple of years ago and got destroyed by it, but there's always been evolutions based off what Mike Vrabel and, Oh, and Gus Bradley, Gus Bradley was another one that would drop back seven or eight and then have Ingram Bosa and the front four be the ones that would rush and attack and also attack in certain ways to where the Bosa would come up 12 or 13 or Ingram would, the other one would hold back and be more of a contain. And then they would dictate where they wanted him to escape from the pocket. So, and then, um, Todd Bowles took a variation of that and blended that stuff all together in the Super Bowl. And so that's what defenses have used. So they've used little wrinkles over the past two to three years, and that that's what every defense is using against them right now. So to defend all of that, that teams are doing, part of it has been you had Eric Fisher and Mitchell Schwartz as your tackles. You had Kareem Hunt as a reliable running back that could run out of shotgun and could also do the power run game. It could also be effective in the flats and do the down and distance. They don't have a running back on their team that can do, they don't have an individual running back that can do all that, but they also don't have multiple skill sets running back wise. that can do that. Like <clears throat> Jarek McKinnon can't be the flats guy that, you know, that they got from a production perspective from Kareem. Daryl Williams doesn't have the same type of acceleration with his power. And then uh, when they use Derek Gore tonight, Derek Gore is kind of a blend of an Isle Davis to where he's a, he's a jump cut type of back North South runner, keep him between the tackles. He's fine. Stretch him out. He starts slowing down, use him an eye form that you tried tonight that didn't work out. So it's just, there's certain, they just don't have a well-rounded backfield that can take the pressure off Mahomes with this offensive line and also take pressure off the offensive line and pass protection. And then the other thing is they just don't have a reliable number three yet. They're hoping that Josh Gordon can obviously become that, but he's just not that yet. And you don't know if and when he'll be that because he doesn't have a full offseason in the in the game plan book. And even if the Chiefs add another receiver, integrating that receiver in potentially would take easily a month, if not longer. And it's really more of a 2022 play to try to build that offseason with that receiver than it really is a 2021 play. So in terms of offense, they've regressed. They've lost a lot of pieces. And even they had Damien Williams, you know, 
playoff Damian Williams could turn it on. End of the year Damian Williams could turn it on. They don't have that anymore either. That guy could that guy in the flats could do some damage and he could do a lot of damage in screens and he had some good outside the tackle runs. And I mean he had some physical runs inside the goal line. They just don't have that caliber of running back back there that can help do that. So all that combined, I know it's a lot, but I mean, that's why they're having the struggles that they are. And you see Patrick not like there was one touchdown where I felt Patrick got, or that he threw to Tyreek Hill and people in my mentions, this went eight, 18 different ways with it. But after that first interception, when they were coming back down there again, I felt like Mahomes didn't want to mess it up. He did not want to turn that ball over up, did not want to mess it up. So when he saw Kelsey there, he saw two defenders around him and he's like, man, if I throw this and you could see, it seemed like he's calculating his head. If I throw this, this ball could hit Kelsey ricochet off. And one of these guys gets another interception and back-to-back red zones and we're deflated at this point. And and I don't think he thought it was as, as safe of a throw as fans think it is that Mahomes can just rifle it in there and it'll be fine. I don't think Pat has that same level of confidence this year with how some of the throws and the luck has been going for him. So I think that's why he escapes the pocket the way that he does right now. I think that's why he doesn't, he's risk adverse in some of the throws that he's making these days after what's kind of happened throughout the season. And that's why I think he threw to Tyreek in the back of the end zone with a low ball to where either Tyreek's going to, going to dig the football out and catch it, or it's just going to drop to the ground and they could kick the field goal. So I think, I just think Mahomes is calculating a lot more than people give him credit for. And I think his number one goal now is to not turn the ball over. Well, and that, that probably was especially in his head because on, on the first drive, um, he did have one of those uh, yet another deflected pass. And look, that, that play, yeah, broke down. He scrambled a little bit, but the Chiefs end up with three receivers in the area. You know, like Josh Gordon ends up flashing in front of Jarek McKinnon. I honestly, I couldn't tell you, um, you know, whether he was actually trying to throw that ball to McKinnon and Gordon got in the way or whether, you know, he rifled it and, and Gordon just failed to catch it, um, you know, and then it goes through the interception. Part of me wonders if the game doesn't go different. I mean, obviously if they get the points there, the game, you know, that, that changes the game a little bit, but I, I wonder if that game doesn't go different if they don't get that score there, you know, that they were kind of rolling on offense. Yeah. Um, Andy's first 15 scripted plays work like a dream. They had some really creative ways to get the ball to Tyreek and Kelsey early, um, you know, and and it seemed like things that they were humming. And, you know, it really felt like it was setting up for one of those 31-10 type of games, um, you know, or, or a lopsided, um, you know, type of game where the, the Chiefs were going to flex a little bit. And then, you know, you get that interception. And, and, and I, if you're the Chiefs, if you're Patrick Mahomes, I, I think there's a part of you that has to say, Oh no, here we go again. Yeah. Um, and, and then you tighten up a little bit. And and like you said, then you you want to be more cautious. You know, from from the way this season has gone, you know, it, you've already given one up this this game. If you give up one or two more, you're probably gonna lose because that's what's happened. I mean, you know, they it started with the Baltimore game, um, you know, when when Patrick, you know, made made a bad throw, uh, made it took a bad made a bad decision trying to force the ball to Kelsey instead of just taking a sack. Um, and, and I think it's kind of snowballed from there, but look, I, he, look, I don't think that they have forgotten how to beat certain coverages. So, so what is the disconnect, Nick? Cause I think that they still have plays in the playbook that can beat the two deep safety. Look, right. Like they still have plays that can counter, whatever other defenses are, are throwing at him, but for whatever reason, they're unable to execute. They're unable to do, is it as simple as um, they, you know, Byron Pringle, Demarcus Robinson, McCole Hardman just are not capable of consistently getting open and giving Ty- giving Patrick Mahomes the options he needs when teams are, you know, you know, like you said, chipping and playing that halo coverage you know, uh, you know, they're kind of playing man on, on, on Kelsey at the line of scrimmage and then playing over the top of him. Um, and then also, you know, obviously taking away neutralizing Tyreek speed with the deep safeties and rolling coverage to his side, things like that. Is it just as simple as other guys aren't winning their one-on-ones? Um, I, I think, I, I think it's three phase. Like I was talking about, I think the tackles play a role in it to where 
I don't think there's certain parts of the offense that Mahomes may want to go to from his reads and his progressions. By the time he gets to certain progressions, I think he feels like he's got to take off and get out of the pocket at that point. So I think that's disrupted a lot of the timing of the offense. I think that's kind of kept him unsettled to a certain extent. Um, then also, like you said, I mean, look, Pringle's not Pringle's not the fastest guy. And, you know, I mean, he's like we, I've talked about on this podcast before. He's a fourth or fifth receiver. Robinson, fourth or fifth receiver. McCole Hardman's that's kind fair, of a 10-play gadget player. And you needed Josh Gordon to be the guy to step up, and he hasn't been able to kind of be the other threat yet. So until that person steps up or they find that person, which in all honesty, it's either going to be Josh Gordon or it's going to be nobody this year as of right now with what they have on the roster. Until that person steps up, he can be reliable on the underneath stuff. Kelsey's not going to get open as much. Um, Tyrese not getting open as much, and they don't have a running back in the backfield that can be a dynamic threat that they can use to kind of be that third guy while Gordon came along. So, I mean, those things combined, they just don't have all the compliments that they need for that offense to work in that regard. And and another big thing that I think is a problem with this team, I just see a team that each week looks just mentally worn out from all, like you and I have talked about, from all the postseason games that they've done in the past three years and just – the pressure of perfection and all that type of stuff. I just see a football team that's, that's mentally worn out. I, I, I see a team that looks exhausted. I see a team that just doesn't have that extra gear to flip on because they've been doing it for two to three years now. And I just don't think that some of them have, have it in the tank at this time. And I, and you know, and I just, I don't, and there, I just don't think there's enough new faces on this roster and in this coaching staff that can keep, that switch and that hunger there right now. And I think that's, I think that's another problem on this overall team to where it just, you know, I just, there's too many, too many of the same old messages and too much of the run it back that it just, I just don't think they have enough variety to keep it interesting and to kind of keep it engaging in a certain way. And I just don't think they have enough on the roster to, to do an evolution that they needed to, to stay ahead of the, to stay ahead of the A ball and they're, you know, like, like a lot of teams do, I mean, with the Ravens having the success that they have for the past decade or so, and the success that the Patriots had during their time. And, you know, some of the, and the Packers to a certain level, the success that they've had over the past decade. So it's just, it just, I just think, I just see a team that I, I see, I see an offense that looks tapped out and I see an overall team that just looks tapped out. That's, that's kind of what I, see as each week progresses and when they face some of those tough physical battles i just i just see a team that's kind of maxed out on what they've on what they've gone through and in all honesty i think i think this offseason unfortunately may be the time when they need a longer extended break than they have in years past let me ask as far as mahomes because he's had a run of some pretty yeah, three probably three of his worst performances of his career have come here recently, right? I mean, certainly in the regular season. Um it it almost seems like they want uh, look, I guess let me let me put it this way. Would you rather see Mahomes stay in the pocket and try to operate the offense from there, even if it means taking more sacks and, and even if it means like kind of fighting his nature, or would you rather see Mahomes just keep freelancing the way he had the first couple of years? I mean, do you need to see him evolve and, and maybe, you know, start to play like in a more sustainable fashion so that he can have, you know, 20 more years at, at you know, at the height of his powers or, do you think that he just needs to be unshackled and just let him go make plays like he has in the past? Well, <clears throat> I think a big problem with it right now is that I, I think that's kind of the crossroads that they're at. And I think he's struggling with each and every drop back when he's back there is I think he, I think they've made a very conscientious effort of getting him to stay in the pocket, but I think he also doesn't feel comfortable in the pocket with the way it kind of, uh, the way the tackle situation is. So I just, I don't see a guy that's confident and comfortable and he kind of goes back to his old habits and where I've been a little bit more concerned this year at times is when he gets outside the pocket, some of his footwork 
and kind of, you know, kind of taking for granted some of his arm strength and his arm angles to where he doesn't always reset his feet and kind of angle towards it so he can have a better throw at times. So I think that's kind of that's something that they're going to have to work on. They're going to have to work on long-term with him past this offseason. So it just – I mean, I, I I see a lot of deficiencies on that roster offensively and defensively that I just – they're going to have to ride out this year, and I don't think it's going to be pretty. They may sneak in as a wild card, and I don't think they're going to have a long run in the playoffs personally. And then I think that they're going to have to spend the offseason – really being aggressive at how they want to fix these things and where they want to evolve as an offense to try to stay ahead of other defenses. I think that's going to take some fresh ideas on the offensive coaching staff to, to get that done. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the, the other things has been a bit disappointing and look, it's unfair to expect perfection from Patrick Mahomes. I, you know, like, like we've talked about, and I think that is part of the problem that, I think he feels the weight of that. Um, yeah. And then like, like I'm, I'm thinking about, there was a play where he rolled to the right late in the first half and he just chucked the ball deep into triple coverage from McCall Hardman, which is probably not going to be a winning strategy very often. And you could tell that he was, he was just frustrated and he wanted to make a big play happen. I, I think he was hoping that McCall would somehow come up with it, even though like, high pointing the ball in a contested catch situation never has seemed to be his forte. Um, I, I love how McCole looked around like, where's the flag? And I was like, sorry, <laughs> McCole, there's not a flag for you not being able to catch a football. I'm sorry. Right. I mean, that's, that's not his strength, but I, I think he was kind of hoping, I mean, Hey, you know, maybe Sorensen or a Sorensen type is down there and you can get that, that law, you know, that penalty down the field, um, you know, and, and, it's symptomatic of that, but, but like that play, we've seen him do that a lot this year. And I don't think that's new. The, the one that's more alarming is earlier. And I think it was the first quarter Tyreek had, uh, you know, Tyreek was putting on the jets and he had his man beat and Patrick threw the ball out of bounds, like never gave Tyreek a chance. And those are the, t- and, pa- and Patrick talked about after the, after the game, the deep, there are deep shots there. There are not as many as there have been in years past, but they have a couple every game against the Eagles. They hit them and they scored 42 points and they look like the offense was humming. I mean, at that time, the offense was scoring as many points per possession uh, as, as the, you know, the 2007 Patriots, which is an all time offense. Those shots, they're not hitting on those shots. He's, he's not connecting on those chain moving throws to Pat or to, to Travis Kelsey over the middle and whatever it is, I, at this point, it, it's kind of like, you know, we talk about with, with the turnovers and with, with the penalties. I'm just not sure that they're going to get on the same page this year. So, like you said, I just don't know that they're going to fix this offense this year. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it's going to be a struggle for a while because, I mean, the first 15 always tells me a lot about how what they've done from a scouting perspective. And what they've done to be able to know to get their guys engaged in the game, what type of rhythm they can create and try to build up the team's confidence in the first 15. And there's been years, Andy's first 15, he puts on a clinic for those first handful of drives. But then there's also times where, you know, they get down in the red zone and then they stall with some razzle dazzle play or some turnover. And Hey, what do you know? Both happen tonight and or on Monday night football. And, you know, just it's, it kind of first 15 tells me a lot about what their what their day is going to be like at times. And so the reality is they're going to have to reinvent themselves for the rest of this year and reinvent themselves next year. Cause defenses, uh, they know how to go after them and they're going to keep going at those weaknesses for the rest of uh, 2021 season. And the chiefs haven't been able to answer the bell yet. And so defenses are going to keep bringing it until then. What'd you think of Derek Gore tonight? I mean, he had one really good drive caps with a touchdown. Uh, when you look at the numbers though, I mean, Daryl Williams and Derek Gore, it, it, it would, you know, Gore had 11 carries for 48 yards. Williams had 13 carries for 49. Williams had a 12 yard run. Gore had a 10 yard run. I mean, they were basically, it was one a and one B as far as I'm concerned. I know that fans got really excited about Gore, but um, you know, I mean, it was, um, 
they were about equally productive when they got their opportunities. And I thought the two of them together, like gave the chiefs enough of a run game, um, you know, to, to at, at times to, to keep that offense on schedule and, and keep that offense at a, at a certain level of efficiency. But would you like to see Derek Gore get, get a few more touches in there? I, I mean, to me, Daryl Williams and uh, Derek Gore, the same running back. Yeah. They're between the tackles, power running back. The Derek just has a little bit better vision and, and a better jump cut. But still, if he's a guy, if you stretch him out, he's he's going to start looking slow, and then you know he's he's not going to be able to hit the corner very well, and he's just not going to give you a ton of a ton of dynamic ability. And so, I mean, him and Daryl, I I just feel like those two combined, I, I just feel like they're the they're essentially the same running back to me. And yeah, I, I would say, I would also say I think Daryl is is more of a weapon in the passing game. He did have six catches for sixty one yards today, um, so. I mean, we didn't really see Derek Gore do that, but that's one area where I think we've seen that Daryl Williams can be effective in the passing game a little bit. Right. And then with Jarek McKinnon, I don't, I don't know if they're going to find a role for him in this offense after eight games, you know, like, I mean, I, I feel like if they were going to find a role for him, it would have been done by now. Yeah. And that's the thing. I thought he would be the, the speed guy that, you know, I thought he would be a guy that they could, you know, throw some of those flats passes to get, you know, I, you and I talked earlier in the year about we we thought we could envision Andy utilizing him in the slot, trying to get him matched up with linebackers or safeties, trying to create, you know, clear out space for him and get him one-on-one in, in those situations where his his speed and his elusiveness could could create some chunk plays. And I mean, for whatever reason, that's not how they've chosen to utilize him. And and look. Andy Reid knows a heck of a lot more about football and offense and the NFL and his personnel than I do. But, um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, clearly um, there's something that there, there's something going on or something that I'm not understanding about why they haven't chosen to try to use him in those kind of situations. Well, and I mean, they may have tried in practices and <laughs> right. out, you know, like I don't, I don't think they're not turning, uh, uh, you know, I think the coaching staff turns over every stone that they can to try to find ways to win and create sparks. And, and it, we just media and fans don't get the chance to see the practice film every single day and know exactly what's what's is or isn't happening. So we just assume that some people just assume that, well, they're, they're, they're not willing to try this since I didn't physically see it. It didn't, Oh, I bet they tried that thing 20 times in practice and they're like, all right, it's not going to work. We got to find another way now. So, well, it, and the other thing, though, you know, we've talked about with Josh Gordon and we saw it with with a Cornell Powell, you know, that it can be difficult to pick up the offense, to grasp the offense, all that kind of stuff. I mean, maybe Jarek McKinnon doesn't, you know, um, you know, doesn't know the offense well enough to do some of those things. I mean, that, you know, like you said, and maybe that's that shows up at practice, too. Yeah, I mean, that's what, that's what I'm saying. I mean, they get to see him in practice and they got the coaches film so that they can collectively evaluate as a group what they can or can't do. So, I mean, you know, I wish I wish they had a lot more opportunities and better answers, better results to get things done. But the fact of the matter is they don't. And there's a lot they got to address in the offseason regardless on offense and especially on defense. Speaking of defense. Um, Heard of it. <laughs> look, I – the the deficiencies are still there, right? I mean, we saw on yeah, they're not going away. <laughs> no, and, and we, look, we we saw on the Giants' first touchdown drive. You know, they tried to sneak Daniel Sorensen on the field as the deep safety, did not work out. They won't um, notice him. <laughs> <laughs> you know, at at the goal line, they ran play action, and and Ben Neiman sucked right up, and Kyle Rudolph went right behind him for a touchdown. I mean, these are things that that we've seen for a couple of years now. Um, and, and so when they're in those situations, it's going to be problematic. I will say Nick Bolton still has his moments where he, he gets lost in coverage. Right. Um, but that pairing with Nick Bolton and Willie gay yeah. certainly against the run seems to be working out pretty darn well. Mm-hmm. Um, and look the pass rush. I mean, Chris, Chris Jones, when he was in, on the interior, he he got some pressure a couple times. 
Um, you know, when they needed it to close out that game, though, Jones and Clark with the back-to-back sacks was at least nice to see. I mean, would have liked to see it more against what I don't think, still don't think is a very good New York Giants uh, offensive line. Um, no, they're a turnstile, but no. And, and look, Daniel Jones is, is, is I think more mobile and athletic than some people give him credit for in terms of being able to evade the rush. But I mean, still, I don't think it was a great performance by the pass rush, but you know, I mean, look, the best pressure the, the chiefs defense got was on screen passes. <laughs> well, well, right. And that's to, to be expected. Um, but they did tie their season high with three sacks today. And, and they did come through when it mattered in obvious passing situations. Um, so can you take anything from that, Nick? No, I don't. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> look, I mean, look, they, they've improved collectively as a run defense, but their pass rush is still terrible on a regular basis. They went, they went against the bad offensive line. They at least got a couple sacks instead of zero. Otherwise I'd be really concerned about it. And you know, they still, figure out a way to sneak 49 on the field and see if the other team notices <laughs> it's kind of a fun little game they play now they're like do you notice that uh 56 and uh and 49 are out on the field if you do throw at them <laughs> well i i will say though i i think the one advantage to having bolton at middle and and willie gay out there at strong side and, and the way they're playing together is they're, they're much better against the run um and that oh, has it i thought you're I think you're going to say it is less positions they can put than Neiman and Daniel Sorensen. Well, but it, it, they're much better against the run, which I think forces teams to be a, a little more predictable in, in the passing situations. And, and it, you know, it, it at least gives the defense like on certain plays, like when, when we've seen like third and seven teams just line up and run right up the middle because they knew that there wasn't going to be any resistance there. Now they can't do that quite as easily. Now they just run screen passes. <laughs> right, right. And 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 the backpedaling remains an issue, but it's I think it's I think Bolton being in the middle has made it a little bit harder to isolate Ben Neiman in some of those passing situations. Um and so I think that's part of why the defense has taken a, a bit of a step forward these last few weeks is because um, I, I think, I think Bolton's brought something um, tangible to that, you know, to that run defense that, that yeah. has shored some things up. Yeah. And, and Willie Gay's healthy and now he's picking everybody off and I hope he gets one against Aaron Rodgers. And then, you know, Dan, uh, Juan Thornhill replacing Daniel Sorensen helped a great deal as well. So, I mean, yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's only one thing left to do. And that's to put Chris Jones at three tech on every single down. And then they have a chance again on defense to at least be competent, but they keep wanting to play him at defensive end. And you know, it kind of is what it is. And at, at least, at least because the run defense is a little bit better, they're getting into third and long more, which is forcing Chris Jones into the, cause they, they put him on the interior in, in most pass rushing situations and they leave them at end uh, on their base, um, you know, and in and in other situations. When, when you want to hear something, good. you want to hear something fun though, Todd. What's that? With as quick twitch as Chris Jones is, if you put him at three tech on every single play, he may blow up runs too on the inside. Right. And and look, he and he may also get get, but it, he he may also get out of position. We've seen that before. But now you have a guy in, in Nick Bolton, who I think can clean that up rather nicely. Like he, he does a good job with that. And I think if you gave him more reps behind Chris Jones and he got a feel for the times when Chris Jones was going to freelance, I think Nick Bolton's smart enough that he would be able to cover for that more and more. Um, they still don't. Cause here's the thing. Chris Jones isn't generating a lot of pressure off the edge anyway. No. Um, no, he's and, not going to. And so you can say, well, he's our best pass rusher. Who else are you going to put there? I don't care. He's not getting pressure off the edge. If the new guy comes in and doesn't get pressure off the edge, what does it matter? You Now you're at least better on the interior with one of the top five defensive tackles. In the words of The Rock, it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> no, I agree. They need to move him back inside, but... Um, but I I think they've I think they're so far down this road at this point because I know he's wanted to play defensive end for a long time and I I, it, 
I know that I, I feel like they're trying to appease him a defensive end. And it was kind of, it just feels like a compromise that they made. And like, so they let him do it. But I mean, at the end of the day, it's not helping the defense reach its full potential and it's not helping him. But at the same regard with him having the wrist injury that he does, maybe they think that that's going to preserve him to a certain extent. And, you know, but whatever it is what it is. I mean, he's one of the top three defensive tackles in the league. They keep trying to play a defensive end where, like I've said before, he's like 30th, maybe 40th best at defensive yeah. end. Like yeah. he just athletically, he doesn't fit at defensive end. And you watch him struggle at defensive end on a regular basis. But a defensive tackle with as quick twitch as he is against those centers and guards, he could be in the backfield on like half the plays. So, I mean, you know, it's just, it is what it is. He could be more disruptive at three tech, but, you know, it, you know, they're going to, they keep putting Sorensen and Neiman out there every week. So, I mean, you know, uh, they're going to keep doing what they're going to keep doing. Yeah. And Aaron Rodgers is going to take full advantage of it. Yeah. No, I have, I have nightmares about. Don't have a nightmares healthy, about it. Tom. A healthy Devonte Adams going for like 180 and three touchdowns. <laughs> you know, like, <clears throat> you let me put be- it this way: we we rarely give fantasy advice here because neither one of us like study it to that level. Um, if you have Devonte Adams, uh, I would de- I would start him next week. If you have Aaron Jones and he's against Ben Neiman, you're gonna have a bad time. <laughs> we've seen that movie before. Yeah, well, it's gonna happen. Green Bay's bringing it back this week. Yeah, um, I believe that was one of the. Oh yeah, no, that was a nightmare of a game back in 2019 um, for Ben Neiman. Um, yeah, well, don't worry. The part two of the movie is going to be even. <laughs> it's going to be even worse than the than the previous one. Yeah. All right. Uh, anything else you want to you want to add? I mean, trade deadline, Todd. Are they going to oh, make any true. moves? Look, I I don't know. I mean, I I hey, I, I just want to wish. I, I want to say happy trade deadline to you and yours. Unless you're I, unless you're listening to this podcast after the trade deadline, then I hope it was delightful. <laughs> I will say this, and I don't know that it means anything at all, but. Laurent Duvernay Tardif was active for the first time all season. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I was expecting him to be inactive tonight, just in case, so they wouldn't put him out there in case they are shopping him around and maybe getting ready to move him. But I mean, yeah, maybe, no, I, maybe I there thought, was somebody there that wanted to watch him in warmups or something, see how he looked. I or, or I don't know. I, I I didn't pay enough attention. I don't know. Did they? If he got out there on special teams or anything, <laughs> I wouldn't have risked it if 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 there was a potential. <laughs> trade block situation i wouldn't have risked <laughs> but i was like hey there's a blast from the past anybody need a guard um i, th- I think there's a lot of teams that would be interested in a guard more than people realize <laughs> um no i mean look i, I the the big the big uh right. trade right, deadline news i think w- has already happened with von miller going to the rams i i think Giving up uh, your second and your third when you already don't have your first and your fourth is a is a pretty steep price. So uh, if I'm the Rams, I think that means you you know you got to win this year um, or or that's you know look I if they win I think it's you know it is what it is you've sacrificed a little bit of your future but you made it to the mountaintop um, you know it's it's a little bit like you know the the Frank Clark trade and signing him to the long term extension. Um, Duvernay did not play a snap. I just looked it up. All right. Well, there just you go. Came out. So he, he he did not play a snap. Man. Still, he looked good in that red uniform. <laughs> yeah, we'll see how long that continues. <laughs> <laughs> um, any you think there's any uh any hope that the Chiefs can do anything? I mean, I, I don't think they have I do see fans a lot of times and they're like, well, they should just go do this or go do that. And I'm, I'm like, well, they don't have the cap space to do this or do that. So, well, the pro the problem that they run into for the most part is that they one, like you said, don't have a lot of cap room. So there's only three ways for them to create it for the most part. They either have to trade somebody that they can get a little room from one of those guys, maybe somebody we just talked about that would give them about two and a half million potentially if they, moved on from him and he waived his no trade clause. Um, then there's an extension with Tyreek Hill that could create some room. Hypothetically, if they want to do an extension with Matthew, I would not, but if they want to do that, that creates some cap room and 
You could otherwise, maybe extend Frank Clark. <laughs> um, otherwise, <laughs> it would have to be kind of a player for tr- player type trade where the 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 money would just swap with each other. So, but I will ask Todd. I mean, they only have two point eight million in available cap space right now. So one point six. I put it out this morning. It's one point six. Oh, okay. Well, over the caps lying to me then. No, they're not. They're not lying to you. It's just <laughs> NFLPA has it a one point six. The ESPN had it a one point eight. So yeah. it just depends. But I like um, my two point eight five better. No, I, th- I the Chiefs would like that too. So, <laughs> so Todd, my question for you is: the Chiefs can trade for one person. Who would you trade if you're the general manager for? Who would you trade for? Uh, Aaron Donald. Okay, maybe somebody that's more real. <laughs> <laughs> um, whoever the best defensive end I can fit under the salary cap is. Um, you know, I mean, I know. Um, I mean, if if Pittsburgh wanted to to, you know, to to trade us Melvin Ingram, I I would I would take a take a flyer on that. Um, but yeah, whoever the best D end I can get, that's who I, that's who I want to go get. Um, my second choice would be, um, a veteran wide receiver, um, who can go, you know, who, who can be a deep threat because, uh, if teams are going to roll coverage, Tyreek Hill side, I want somebody who can go deep the, on the other side that can at least, you know, threaten them and kind of give Patrick a chance to scratch that long ball itch. Okay. Interesting stuff there, Todd. Well, who would it be for you? Oh man, I got a laundry list of people I'm keeping tabs on. <laughs> keeping tabs on pass rushers, see what defensive ends out there, see what Josh Allen might be up to. Melvin Ingram, that's fine, whatever. Um, I'm curious to see what receivers are out there. I'm even curious to see if there might be a running back long term that maybe they can have help them out. I think I think if if you're genuinely wanting an impact that can help quicker than you would expect, I think it's going to have to be along the pass rush or running back. I think wide receiver would be more of a 2022 move to where you hope they help you in December and you're kind of planning for either moving on from a Cole Hardman or Demarcus Robinson when you're filling that person into that spot for the long term. So you don't have to worry about a free agency next year or, you know, it, it is what it is at that point. But I, I would not be against adding to pass rush. I think it would help a little bit. I don't think it's going to move the needle completely, but I, if depending on if you got the right person, then I think that gives you one less need you have to fill in the off season. So, but I, I do not personally, I, I think the Chiefs need to keep as many draft picks as they have. Cause I think they're going to have a higher pick than normal <laughs> this year. So, well, and I'll, I'll be curious to see what they do. And, and I think, I mean, obviously the Rams and, and, and Les Snead disagree, but but I think the best way, if I have a criticism of, of Brett Veach in the draft, it is the, the times that he has um, given up a couple picks to move up a couple spots, which, which he did a lot early in his career. And, and the reason is because I know people are like, oh, Brett, not every single draft pick Brett Veach has ever made has turned into a star. Uh, look, that that's true for every GM. No GM bats bats a thousand, which is why you want as many of those dart throws as possible to get guys that are cheap and controllable. And then, I mean, you know, then you get a, a luxurious Sneed every once in a while out of it, you know, and I think that's what you're hoping for with some of those picks that they would have to give up, you know, for, you know, depending on who it is, just a, you know, just a few games. Um, I, you know, I agree with you. I, I would be... I would be loath to to trade draft picks right now um, for a guy who's not going to be um, a definite like impact player and a definite long term guy, um, especially because I'm not sure that a relatively minor move is going to be enough to get this team, um, you know, on a deep another deep playoff run, and if it's not at the end of the day, was it worth it? Or would you rather 
you know, have that dart throw so that you can maybe find yourself another Legereus Sneed type next year or, or somebody in another position, but, but a, a mid round, you know, type, type steal. But one thing I do think kind of changed with the trade deadline of the Rams Broncos deal is I think more teams in the future, especially during the season are going to ask other teams to eat part of the salary. If you want yeah. one of those day one, day two picks, I think that's going to become a trend now or yeah. because of that. Cause that's actually smart. Cause like, for example, take Alan, take Alan Robinson with the, with the bears. He's in final year of his contract. He's going to hit free agency. He counts 17 million against the cap. And the Bears, if they want to get a comp pick for him next year, uh, whether they want a two or a three or a four, like they're going to have to eat a lot of his salary for a lot of teams. There's, I think there's only a handful of teams that are over that have 12 million in cap space. So wherever he went, they some teams going to Bears are going to have to eat a lot. They're going to have to eat, you know, more than normal. And to do, <clears throat> if you want one of those equivalents of a comp pick a year earlier than you would have had to given up and had to walked in free agency. Those are one of those things that, that I think is going to be more of a trend down the road here. Yeah. No, it makes sense. But Todd, just don't be toxic, okay? Um, when, when, I mean, I, I, I'm more, uh, never mind. I was going to make a Britney Spears joke, but I, I, I don't have one. That's probably for the best. <laughs> I couldn't think of the names of any of her other albums. <laughs> Um, no, I look, I, yeah, that, that whole thing, um, is an animal unto itself. I thought Chris Jones, um, he was kind of asked about some of that social media drama after yeah, the game no, he, Sunday he handled and he had a really great response talking about, yeah. about it. Chris Jones, I, I kind of hope, and Chris Jones talked about how he just doesn't really engage on, on social media, which might- I think. It's a smart thing for players, man. Which I, which I think is absolutely the correct way to go. If yeah. I were a player, I, I would stay away from social media as often as possible, and I wouldn't engage um, because it, it's a no-win situation. Right. Um, but I would absolutely, after I retired, become Jeff Allen and just savage people, too. Like, that. I, I'm, I'm all for that, too. <laughs> <sighs> Uh, yeah, Jeff does it, and uh, Jeff Schwartz also does it. So, people with the yeah. name Jeff, yeah, um, I'm here very, for it. Very big fan of those ideas. Um, they're both great guys, great people. I enjoyed their time in the locker room, they were, yeah. they were both really fun guys to have around. Um, I'm surprised that you gravitated toward offensive linemen. Yeah, I know it's really weird, right? Because <laughs> I made a, a I'll, I'll give you guys this story. I made a bet with Jeff Allen, and it was like a year or two before his contract. Um, when he left to go to Houston, we made a bet about something and I owed him. Oh, I know what it was. Yeah. No, I, I made a bet with him. And if he did something, uh, if he did something, I had to give him, um, some Kit Kats cause he loved Kit Kats and he loved, uh, gummy bears. So then I had, I had to bring those into him one day, but you know, um, so, so Todd, if you ever have a bet with me on those things, I will deliver on that. Cause that's in my budget. Okay. What, what kind of what can we bet him that would virtually guarantee getting some cookies delivered to our house? Because I want to make that bet. I don't. I just I got some last week. I bought them. You know, I supported Cookie Society. I'll keep supporting them. Right, but, right. But but I don't Marissa do a fantastic job with that. Don't cookies you won taste just a little bit better than cookies you paid for? I mean, I mean I'm all for buying cookies. I'm just saying <sighs> we need to we need to win some too. I just enjoy cookies. I get to, okay. That's where I'm at in my life, there, Todd. But yeah, no, like you said, it, I mean, look, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of social media, man. I mean, you know, people. I, I will say this: I think social media has made people more impatient in general, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and I, I think that kind of blends into society in some regards. And so does on-demand and apps and all that type of stuff now to where that it, it just, I don't know, it's a unique thing. But, yeah, from a player's thing, I would, I would, I would if I was ever an advisor for a player, I'd be like, don't get on social media. Only do it if you want to post something and make it something, you know, that, that, that's positive that you want to post. And if you, if you feel the need to check social media, especially on Twitter, if you're verified, just check the verified accounts and your mentions. That's yeah. about it, but don't do anything otherwise. 
And you'll yeah, be- no, no, I wouldn't be checking my mentions at all if I was. I, I unfortunately do. I, I had to block about twelve people tonight, and so well, I think, I'm pretty sure they were bots. So I think part of the trap, though, too, is like when you had a really good game, like you probably kind of want to check your mentions, you know, and, and you like that the praise and the adoration. I know, I know some of the players on the roster loved it for time. Like it just gave them those chips on their shoulders, that little extra fuel that they needed. Something. Oh, the They're opposite way. Like if, yeah. Like, but I also know some players that would check it and they would hold grudges against you afterwards. There was a left guard by, in 2014 by the name of Mike McGlynn. Um, was not a fan of mine because of how honest I was about his play at left guard. <laughs> Anytime I try to go in there and get an interview, he'd just turn around and walk away. So that's how that one always worked out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think if you, you spend enough time in a locker room, you, you're going to have some people who um, you don't get along with. <laughs> but I will say, Duvernay Tardif, always an incredibly nice guy, always friendly. So I, I, I always appreciated and respected that about him. And Fisher and I always seem to get along, and Jeff Schwartz um, and I get along. And I know you always get along with Cole Quinn. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I felt like that was probably one of the few positions I could have. I was athletic enough to play. So, <laughs> and I will say, poor, poor Chase Daniel, man. Just a little inside story here, just for the heck of it. On Wednesdays, Alex would always talk, and so poor Chase Daniel, the locker room was right next to Alex's, and so when we'd be in the locker room for that on on Wednesdays. You would just have the entire media of like 22, oh, yeah. 25, 30 people all huddled around what would essentially be Alex Smith, Chase Daniel, and Tyler Bray's locker. And then so if they need to come in there and get something like Chase would see it and he just he just had this look on his face and just be like, Oh man, I I'm gonna have to wait a while. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think he was also probably flashing back to his Missouri days when that crowd was there for him, you know, <laughs> uh, maybe so, maybe so. Um, Speaking of which, no. Alex Smith made an appearance. I saw that. Love the fact that chiefs fans gave him some adulation. Um, I'm going to throw something out here right now. Do you want to hear it? Uh, sure. Okay. Okay. I would. Really... What if I had said no? Well, then you still would have had to hear it anyways. <laughs> I just wanted you to feel like you had a choice in the matter. Um, I would really, 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 really love to see Alex Smith as like Mahomes' quarterback coach at some point. Like, I, oh, I think yeah. it would be really, really fun to watch Mahomes go to a new level with Alex as his mentor, not just from the year there, but kind of be able to help him during some of those times that Alex went through, I just, man, if they can figure out a way to make that happen someday, I really think having Alex Smith here would be good. I think, I think Alex if, would I think happen. if Derek Johnson ever wanted to come and be a coach here with the linebackers, I would love that too. Well, here's the thing. They would have to really want to do it, right? Because those guys made enough money in their career. They don't have to they don't need to go to work. Yeah. But, no, but if they're looking for something to, you know, fill their days, um, you know, especially once their kids get a little bit older, um, you know, and you got to find something to fill your days. Um, I, I could see Alex going a number of different routes though. I mean, I, I, I think he'd be, I think he'll, he'll flourish in the TV role if he wants to stick with that kind of thing. Um, I could see him doing charity work, especially with veterans after, um, you know, what he went through with the leg and the rehab situation he did there. Um, but yeah, I think if he wanted to be a coach, I think he'd be a great one. And Andy Reed has said as much, right? Like, I mean, I think Andy has, has talked about that before. Um, so, um, but yeah, um, I think he would also be a great, like third, uh, member of our podcast team. If he's interested in doing that, if Alex wants to join us, um, that invitation, I'm going to just put it, I'm just say that invitation's open, Nick. Well, I hope. I hope he hears it and he wants to join at some point. That'd be great. <laughs> I doubt he's listening. <laughs> well, we can always hope. Um, so anyway, uh, I got nothing else. Um, unless you want to talk about your favorite Halloween candy or something like that. No, I'm good tonight. Maybe let's save that, you know, let's save that for the next podcast. Give some, give people something to, to you know, 
Be excited for. Somebody was mad we didn't give out a code word last week. Said so let's just make it Halloween candy. <laughs> That's fun. Or just something random like eraser. I mean, you you choose. No, you already did it. It's Halloween candy. All right, fine. Your keyword today is Halloween candy. So that's really a key term, I guess. <sighs> Whatever, man. Like, I mean, dude, like, why you gotta, why you gotta be like that? Because um, I'm a pet ant, <clears throat> and I just want you. Uh, <laughs> the way this tweet that I had uh, that I did earlier today, I'm just gonna throw it out there. It popped in my head. I should have read it as a voiceover. I was like. This touchdown drive was brought to you by Daniel Sorensen and Ben Neiman. Sorensen and Neiman, what can coverage do for you? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, no, I think we all, all of us who were paying attention had to send it. We were like, well, seen that one before. <laughs> um, all right, Todd. Yeah. Feels like it's time for the podcast to end. By the way, um, I did want one note. Um, uh, which linebacker do you think had the most snaps tonight? Dude, you already know I posted the snap count thing. So, like, I'm already going to know. Like, why would you ask me that? Oh, before I forget, one thing I want to get. I never saw you. Uh, like, I mean, um, I saw the I saw the plaque for Therese at the Chiefs PR. And, uh, yes. Chiefs yes. Up. That was really cool. That is. That, that's that's amazing. It, it basically has um, the obituary from um, – from his funeral, um, inscribed on the plaque with, uh, with a picture of his, uh, and I, I, I posted a picture, you know, I know Herbie T.O.P. um, and some other Matt Derrick also did. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if anybody else did. I, I know I saw that those guys also had, um, yeah, no, it's an awesome gesture by the chiefs. Um, and, uh, really classy thing for them to do. Um, you know, and I know a lot of people felt a special connection with, with Therese, um, and it's funny because I, I, I was talking to some ESPN guys today, um, who, who I was kind of sitting next to in the press box. And I, I had asked, uh, one of them, I was, I was like, Hey, um, please tell me that Lewis Riddick is an awesome, a guy, like when the camera's not on, um, a, as he seems to be in other aspects, because, uh, you know, and the answer um, is yes, I can already tell you from correct. Yes. Atlanta. The answer is yes. But, but you know, like there are people who their personas are different than what you, than what you see publicly. Right. Um, if anything, Therese was even funnier, um, and even more humble and generous and and, uh, a wonderful guy to hang out with than what you guys got to, got to see, um, in his training camp dispatches and, and stuff like that. Um, um, I still, um, Got a, I, there's never going to be a day that I don't, don't miss that. La- I wish I could hear that laugh again. Um, I mean, you, know, you can, you just gotta go find it. In some right. Spot. Yeah. It's not, but you know I what I mean? I clipped it together for you. So you, can you know, you know what I mean though? Like I, I one of the singular joys of my time in the press box, unprofessional as it has always been, um, was, going out of my way to try to make to make Therese laugh. So. I just know there's some tweets I had tonight that he would have texted me about and been like, man, Jacobs, I saw that one, dude. <laughs> oh, uh, I mean, I was, I was like, he was a big Michigan fan. Poor guy was a big Michigan and a big Detroit yeah, and I remember you, fan. I remember you texted me on Saturday about that. And I was like, yeah, he would have loved that game. And yeah, when that Michigan, Michigan state game, when I sat down to watch it, I would, I was like, oh gosh, man. Like, uh, it, you know, my, cause my, my instinct was, you know, to, you know, as the game was approaching was to text Therese and be like, Hey, what's your prediction for this one? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it's just the, those are the moments where you kind of catch yourself. Like we got to talk to Tim Grunhard tonight afterwards. And I asked him like, when did it become real? Cause it was six months ago on May 1st, that they announced that he had been selected for the ring of honor. He was going into the chiefs hall of fame. Right. You know, but he, he was actually inducted. They, they unveiled his name in the ring of honor at halftime tonight. And I asked him like, when did it become real? Was it when they announced it? Was it tonight? Was there some other checkpoint in between? And he was, he was like, Oh no, it was tonight. Like seeing the T Grunhard up there and the fact that they spelled it right. (laughs) 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 Um, you know, and, you know, and that's, you know, like, like when I, when I can't text Therese, you know, uh, before a game or when I see that plaque or something like that, those are, those are moments that, 
as you know that, that make it real um yeah. and so it, it's bittersweet but it's nice to know that you know um when i go up there um i'll be able to see it and, and i i hope that it helps preserve um his legacy moving forward now one thing i do have to ask to to switch topics a little bit no i did not uh rub the placard or, or kiss it or anything okay that's Is that not what you were going to ask Definitely not the road I was going down. <laughs> okay. Okay. So I didn't do like a I didn't do like a pencil etching of it or anything. <laughs> All right. Oh for three right now, Todd, and I'm we'll chat about that later off here. Right. Uh, some of my concerns. Uh, <laughs> did you ask questions at the presser tonight that would have made him proud? Because um, in my mentions, I have people uh, criticizing that I'm not asking hardball questions when I haven't been to a press conference in person since training camp. <laughs> um, I, I don't, I don't know. Todd, that I asked. Apparently, uh, Todd, apparently I'm asking softball questions. <laughs> yeah, press yeah. Conferences I'm not attending. You're I've very, been on a couple of the zoom ones and I asked a couple the other day, but I have a different work schedule on the primary days whenever they talk. Right. And, and, there were only allowed so many people at the live press conferences on, on Wednesdays and Thursdays. And, uh, like I, I'm not there. Yeah. Um, so, and I'm off on Fridays, so I'm not there for that. Um, all I know is I heard you asking a couple on, on Monday night there. Yeah, no, I did. I, you know, I, I mean, I'm not scared. I believe PM. Fi- I know you're not scared, but I mean, I'm not I scared to ask guys questions. I, I believe you asked PM 15 a question. I think Chris Jones was another one of the questions that you, uh, May have asked questions too. I don't remember if you asked any of Willie Gay or not. I, I did not. There were a couple of times where I would questions I was going to ask were already asked and answered by reporters higher in the pecking order than me. Um, and actually, that kind of happened to me. Really, on the Todd, you're not number one. I thought you'd be there at the very. <laughs> that, that, that actually happened to me on the on the Mahomes question too. Ted yeah. Cruz was asking if anybody else had questions, and both me and Todd Lebo raised our hand. And then they Lebo went first and we both had the same question. So then I'm sitting there like, Oh, I better make something up. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you ad living. <laughs> so, but yeah, I, look, I s- sports journalism is about relationships. Um, and you know, you build that over time with guys. Um, I don't think any of us are ever going to um, approach it the same way that um, Jim Bob on Twitter would approach the post game press conference. You know my uncle Jim Bob. That's awesome, man. So I'll tell him you said hi. <laughs> you know it is. Yeah, you know, it is what it is. I like honestly. I mean, I've seen it where I've seen it happen more with coaches. Um, you know who were. The, you know, and, and beat writers over the years, uh, you know, than I have, I have players, but um, it's kind of like Chris, Chris Jones talked about. He said, um, you know, we expect to be treated with a certain level of respect. And I think the players in turn deserve that same, um, that same respect reflected back to them. Um, and so, um, you know, and he also talked about like, like, look, when, when we talk about Daniel Sorensen's inability to cover the deep ball, we're being honest with you and I, and you know, we might take light of it, but it's not like Dan, it's not like Daniel Sorensen lines up and, and is like, you know what, I'm going to let a guy catch a 50 yard pass on me tonight just to <laughs> piss off the guy in section 114 who was tweeting hateful things at like, that's not how this works. Like. Um, you know, there's nobody who's, who's more disappointed that, that he gave up that pass than Daniel Sorensen. And we're not telling him anything. He doesn't know that, that he's struggled in deep coverage this year. Um, you know, but the, the proper way to handle that, you know, you ask a guy what happened on the play and give him a chance to explain from his perspective. That's, that's the point of the job is you're seeking information. It's not to go out and say, and say, dude, you're terrible. You know, do you feel like you're stealing money? Like that's not, 
I would really like if you asked a question in that tone. Then I'd be the question. <laughs> well, I just want to hear you ask a question don't, in that tone. Don't put it past me, but <laughs> just don't do it at Chiefs. Don't embarrass me. <laughs> so no, like I, I honestly, there was one question I did want to ask Patrick, um, but it just wasn't the right time for Can it. Can we? So. Is it something you're saving for the future, or is it something? No, not really. He wore a Kansas City Current shirt, and I, it was something related to that. But mm-hmm. uh, the post game didn't seem like the proper time for it. So, that's just Todd. That is a savvy veteran move right there. Hey, listen, listen. I have more of a filter than I will ever get credit for. Hey, and if you're still <laughs> listening to the podcast at this point, why? my mom probably forgot to turn it off (laughs) Um, but if you're still listening to this point let us know if you actually want a podcast that would be about some of our uh, sports journalism memories and maybe some of those some people enjoyed some of those pointers and everything speaking of todd lebo (laughs) so if you do um you know like respond to us on twitter let us know and maybe during the cheese bye week maybe we make that a little part of it because there's a couple ideas I want to I'm a thinking about doing during the bye week for a podcast so yeah it could be one of them but we need to get feedback from you to a little do how this. the sausage is made podcast I mean we can definitely call it something different but um right no yeah. I, I, but yeah now I've got some nice stories about the time Jason Whitlock saved me uh you know well so. Todd let's leave the teaser at that I want to hear that story among other stories and just about sports journalism send us comments on the old twitter all right sounds good hey uh with that take care kids